Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Connor Bromley, and I'm joined today by Ned Keating. And we're going to talk transfers today. And it's your team, Spurs, Ned, that is uh, taking all the headlines at the moment. There's only one place to start, Timo Werner, or Timo Time, as Spurs put it yesterday on their social media. He has moved to Tottenham um, in a move that... He was linked with Manchester United previously at the start of the window, but Tottenham is where he's ended up. What's your overall thoughts after this deal's been done? Of course, you look back to his time at Chelsea in the Premier League previously and you kind of, you know, you'd rightly have, uh, you know, slight concerns about it because he never, you know, when he was at um, Leipzig before and, and even when he started his career at Stuttgart as well, before he moved to Chelsea, you could kind of think, wow, this player is quite good, quite special. You kind of liked what he did. You liked his goal scoring rate and you thought, oh, you know, he, he could be something else and moved to Chelsea over Liverpool when you kind of thought you weren't sure about it at the time. You thought maybe he was more suited to Liverpool and lo and behold, he probably would have been more suited to Liverpool the way that they played because Chelsea tried to play him as an out-and-out striker and, you know, that's quite clear that's not really what his game is or at least what his game suited to in the Premier League. You know, they got more joy out of him when they played him as a left winger cutting in and going on his right foot and they seem to get more joy out of him there but that is the, those kind of opportunities for him in that Chelsea team seem few and far between um, and yeah it didn't work out the best for him of course he you know left Chelsea as a champions league winner so I don't think he'd be too upset but it didn't really work out for him the fan base weren't really on his side I think because his performances weren't great and that might have been because he wasn't being utilised to the best of his abilities and in how Chelsea were playing, how the Premier League is. And went back to Leipzig and he's, you know, blessing he struggled with injuries since heading back there. Um, and so, you, you know, you, you'd be forgiven for having apprehensions about this this move, of course. But, and Postacoglu seems to be able to get a tune out of people who previously you thought he couldn't. You know, Richarlison's scoring goals now and, and that seemed impossible for Spurs this time last year to get Richarlison to score goals. And now he's doing that. So maybe Hans fancies another challenge and, and fancies going, well, maybe if I can get a tune out of Richarlison, I can get a tune out of Timo Werner as well. The structure of the deal, it is... I mean, I, I think I think it's a master stroke, actually, quite frankly. Um, on loan until the end of the season, provides some much-needed cover in those attacking areas. Um, you know, he can play down the middle, but I think Spurs are more suited to having him playing down the middle than where he was at Chelsea because they're still, you know, you've seen it this season with Son. Son's been playing down the middle at times as well, and he kind of is goal scorer and provider. And I think that's more what Timo Werner is. He isn't your classic number nine. He is goal scorer provider. So he fits maybe more into the Spurs mold than he did at Chelsea. So he provides cover there. Provides cover on the flanks as well. As I said already, I think he got more joy at Chelsea when he was cutting, it, cutting in from the left-hand side and, and firing those shots off at goal. And he would add depth in those areas as well, um, which, which is handy for Spurs, um, you know, especially during this battle. Because again, human song, he's a, he's away um, at the Asian Cup. And hopefully, you know, he, he might go all the way with that in, in South Korea. I know the... Uh, a few Spurs fans will be hoping that South Korea exit in the group stages in Qatar, but you know me, I hope he uh, gets his hands on the trophy at the end of the, end of the final. Um, so he adds depth there. But of course, if this turns out to be a successful move, it's only £15 million that Spurs have to sign him for in the summer. That is a masterstroke in, in this market. Someone who scored, what is his record for Germany? 24 and 57. That's not one to be sniffed at. And Ian Luca would say that that's almost the goal of the game, wouldn't she? Bless her. Um, but no, no, all jokes aside, he has a great ratio at 
at the top level and phenomenal ratio uh, in, in international football that, that shouldn't be sniffed at. So for Spurs to be able to get a player of that calibre for 15 million, phenomenal effort. But it's all dependent on whether or not it actually works out for Tottenham uh, and for Timo Werner as well. And that is the only sticking point as, as to whether or not Spurs will be willing to pay that 15 million uh, come the end of the season. Do you think it's, is it going to be a player that will be slotted into this, you know, starting 11 straight away? Or do you think maybe he's going to be a, you look at the fee, say, you know, the 15 million pounds to me in this day and age in the Premier League, that's a utility player, isn't it? It's a player that you're bringing on and off. You've mentioned before how versatile he is. Or do you think he's going to be, you know, starting pretty much every game for Tottenham going forward? Well, just to clarify your point there on the 15 million, that's only if we want to make it permanent. He is on loan. So again, of course, you know, it kind of, <laughs> he might not be there past the summer, so you don't have to keep him happy. Um, but for that, you know, you can't, you can't look at a fee and go, oh, you know, he's only, we're only signing him and this is what we can expect from him. You look at Brighton and how much they spend on these players. They're going to unearth these gems from, from, you know, lower leagues or, or lesser leagues around the world, lesser known leagues, sorry, around the world. And you wouldn't say, you know, they, they buy them and they go straight in and then they turn them into £100 million players, you know. So I don't think a fee is something that we should be looking at and going, ah, we shouldn't be expecting too much from him. Um, whether or not he's going to be a starter for Spurs, of course, I don't think he's going to go straight into the starting lineup. I don't think we're going to see him starting. I could be completely wrong. He might end up starting this weekend against Manchester United, but I don't think we're going to see that somehow. Um, I think... You know, the first couple of weeks, maybe, you know, especially this weekend because we only play against United and then, of course, with the winter break in the Premier League, Tottenham don't play again until uh, later on this month. I think it's their own, maybe their only Premier League match this month, actually, isn't it? Because then, of course, they come back from that. It's the FA Cup fourth round and, and everything else that comes with it. No, sorry, they do have another one just on the uh, around, around deadline day as well, isn't it? That's the last round of fixtures in the, uh, in the Premier League in January. But that, that, that gives him time to settle in, bed in, get to know his teammates, you know, whereas obviously where he's arrived, on Tuesday night and the game is on Sunday, there's that less opportunity to bed him in, get into those teammates, how we play, how you play, etc. So I don't expect him to be starting this weekend. But we might see him when Spurs return to action, potentially in that FA Cup game against Manchester City, that mouth-watering tie uh, against Manchester City. We might see him start in that game because he's a little bit more settled at that point. Um, I don't think Spurs are signing him because they just see him as a squad option to bolster out. I think Lange Postacopoulos sees something that he likes in him and wants him in his squad. Um, and it's almost like a trial period, really, isn't it? You know, between now and the end of the season. Um, you know, trial before you buy it. And, and like you said, you know, 15 million, um, even if he doesn't set the world on fire, you kind of think it's worth a little punt, especially for Tottenham, where they want to be going forward. You know, next year, they will hope to be in the Champions League. They will need a bigger squad. They will need more players. And if you can get... As I said uh, earlier on, a, a player of the calibre of Tino Werner, who's shown at international level, at least maybe hasn't shown it in the Premier League before, but has shown it in the in, on the international stage previously uh, with his goal scoring record. If you can get a player like that for fifteen million pounds, you shouldn't be laughing at it. You should be snapping the hands off and saying thank you very much, signing the documents and sending them back as quickly as possible. Sticking with Spurs, uh, reports this morning say they're set to sign a defender from uh, Syria, Radu Dragusin. Uh, I'm hoping I've said that correctly. Uh, 21-year-old came through the ranks at Juventus. Uh, Genoa paid 5.5 million euros this time one year ago. Apparently, it's going to be roughly 25 million pounds, depending on what you're reading. Is this an area that Spurs need to improve we know they've had sort of issues with injuries and suspensions at the back do you think this is 
again, talked about with Werner, is it additional depth or do you think it's a, a starting player? You look at the age 21, you maybe think it's going to be a player that needs a period to sort of bed in and sell. I was thinking about this this morning and I think it's, I understand the logic behind what you're saying and you would say, yeah, you know, is he going to displace World Cup winner Christian Romero? Is he going to displace Mickey van der Ven who started so well at Spurs? And on the face of it, you go, he might struggle first up. But when you're given a choice between Bayern Munich and Tottenham and you choose Tottenham over Bayern Munich, where it's clear that if you went to Bayern and went to Germany, that you probably wouldn't get as much game time as, as, as perhaps at Spurs. That, that's what I think is the sticking point. He could have gone to Bayern, could have happily taken the money, the opportunities that he'd get, you know, sporadically. Um, Bayern are in the market for a defender this, this January, primarily because of, you know, uh, human uh, Son's international teammate, Kim Min Jae. He's a way they're trying to cover that. But when he comes back, he's been, you know, he was great for Napoli last year, been a rock at the back for Bayern Munich at the minute. And you look at the other options that Bayern Munich have got as well. Deo Meccano, Matthias De Ligt. Does Rally Dragosan get into that team? And probably not. So his opportunities seem less frequent at Bayern. And so that's the reason why he's probably chosen Tottenham, which then suggests that whilst we kind of look at it and go 21 and maybe he won't be a starter first up, but maybe he sees Tottenham as that, that place where he will get more opportunities, where he gets the chance to prove himself more, sees himself as higher up the pecking order as soon as he joins that club. You know, I think he does jump in straight away as, as Tottenham's number three centre-back and, and that's ahead of Ben Davies, who, you know, Blessing is reliable, but he's not great. You know, he's he's solid, he's, but he's not spectacular is what I mean to say. Um, and Eric Dyer, who looks set to leave the club this month with, with a host of teams across Europe and, and in different countries, Bayern, in fact, being one of them that are being linked with Eric Dyer um, uh, as cover for, as, as we said earlier, Kim and Jay. So Dragosan has looked at, at that, I think, and seen that he probably gets more chances at Tottenham. So, you know, again, do I expect him to go straight into the starting 11 when he, you know, signs on a dotted line? No. Do I expect him to go into the starting 11 next month and the month after? No. But I think he sees that he will have more long-term opportunities at Spurs than he would have had at Bayern, and, that, and that's the reason why he's moved to London. We'll talk now. I want to just finish off the Spurs thing because we've talked a lot about Spurs. Um, Hayden Hackney at Middlesbrough has been linked with pretty much all the, the big boys in the Premier League, Spurs included. Do you think that's maybe, if I don't want to say agent talk, but speculation, you know, around a player? You see this often with championship players that they get mooted for these moves in January and generally it happens actually in the summer. Do you see that one happening? Do you think there's a need for, you know, a midfielder like Hayden Hackney for one of these big boys. It feels like a big jump going from mid-table, upper mid-table championship into one of these these big teams. It would feel more logical if he took a move into the, you know, maybe that group below in the Premier League, the the mid-table sides. It is timely though. We are doing this Wednesday morning. So it's the, the morning after the night that he scored the goal for Middlesbrough to beat Chelsea in the Carabao Cup semi-final. So of course, fantastic timing uh, on on whoever's behalf it was to, to suggest that Aidan Hackney is uh, linked with those clubs. But I understand your point again about the fact that, you know, it is something to go from championship to to, to those teams fighting for, you know, who will want to be fighting for the top honours in, in the Premier League and domestically and, and in Europe as well. It is a big jump for sure. But you look at that performance, and yes, it's only one game. I get that. But you look at that performance for Middlesbrough against Chelsea. And, you know, this young lad who's come through the academy at Middlesbrough, a great goal as well. But he performed really well, performed great guns. And he made, you know, £100 million players for Chelsea look silly. Um, 
So again, that probably sparks or, or piques a little bit of interest in those clubs, a little bit more interest when you kind of go, right, okay, well, he's he's done it now against, that wasn't a weak Chelsea side by any stretch of the imagination. That was a really, really strong Chelsea side. Um, and he performed admirably, really had to, well, more than admirably, he got the winning goal, didn't he? So for sure, you know, that will make people stand up and take notice. Um, you know, for the player as well, you're right, it is a big jump. And would he get the opportunities at those big clubs? No. Would his development stagnate? Possibly. Would he be better served, as you said, they're going to a team a little bit lower down the table where he will get more opportunities and can acclimatise to the Premier League in a less pressurised situation? Probably. But you can understand why these big clubs are in for him, as I said, with that performance against Chelsea on Tuesday night. One thing on the, the Carabao Cup, do you think um, Middlesbrough can make the final or do you think Chelsea will have a bit too much for them in the second leg? Why not? Chelsea have to beat them by two goals now, two clear goals to avoid the tie going to penalties. Um, Middlesbrough have been, I think, better away from home, haven't they, this season? Uh, then at home as well. They'll fancy their chances. Keep it tight at the back. And, and you know, if, even if you concede one, then... That it's going to penalties, you know, and, and if you score one, that's even better. You're going through to the final uh, if it finishes 1-1. So, so that's it. Middlesbrough, you know, away goals don't exist in this this tie anymore anyway. So even if they did score at Stamford Bridge, it wouldn't matter much. It wouldn't make much difference. It doesn't add 0.5 a goal or whatever it was that people used to say it did. The, the, the equation's simple for Middlesbrough. Keep the clean sheet, you're off to Wembley. Be defensively solid, you're off to Wembley. Um, why not? Yeah, 20 year anniversary as well from where they won this competition last. So maybe it's written in the stars that a championship team wins it this year. I want to switch though to Jaden Sancho. He's been a player that's been so talked about, I suppose, considering he's barely kicked the ball this season. Oh, a pretty public fallout with Eric Ten Hag. Looks like he's going to return to Borussia Dortmund on a loan deal, but apparently they can't afford to keep him, they can't afford his wages. So it feels like, I don't know, from my interpretation, is Man United are kind of putting him in the shop window here for a few months, see where he settles, and then in the summer, hope that he catches fire and they can bump up his value. Is that a correct reading by me, or do you think there's maybe more to it? No, if you didn't say it, I would have said that instead. Um, but you're, yeah, you're correct there. I think they are trying to, um, you know, 100 grand a week, isn't it, that they're trying to cut from the wage budget uh, with 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 this Sancho deal. So they're trying to kind of, you know, create a bit of room in there to, to go and perhaps bring in one or two players themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's, we know that January is not really a, uh, much of a selling market because big deals don't really get done in January. Big money deals at least don't get done in January. You just kind of do bit parts where you kind of fill in the holes in your squad that you didn't have or, or did have, sorry, and realised and didn't fill them in the summer, so you fill them now. Um you know, for for all parties, I think it probably makes it well. Actually, aside from maybe Borussia Dortmund, uh, it makes sense. Um, you know, for Man United, they're getting a player out who his career is over at Old Trafford. There's no two ways about it. And it, you know, there might not be the buyers there that they want in this current window. But at least, as you said, they're putting him in the shop window. At least he's playing games. People could be reminded of what he does. Um, and hopefully, as you said, they drive the price up a little bit when it comes to the summer and they will try to offload him for good. Sancho allows him to get out there and play football again. Um, who knows if he sets the world on fire at, at, at Borussia Dortmund back in the Bundesliga, he might force his way back into the England reckoning. I mean, he has a hell of a lot of work to do because that is one position and one place where England have plenty of players, talented players for sure, is on the flags, is on the wings in attack. Um, so he'd have his work cut out trying to force his way back into the England squad, but at least he now has an opportunity to do that should he so wish ahead of the Euros this summer. Um, for Dortmund, 
you know, we still know that he's a good player. We know that there's a good player in there. And if they can unlock that again, to have that player on loan for six months will be a huge boost to their second half of the campaign in the Bundesliga as they um, as, as they look to kind of hopefully somehow claw their way back into a, what looks at the minute a two-horse title race between Bayern Leverkusen and Bayern Munich. So maybe they won't draw themselves back in there. Um but yeah, as you, as you said, it is Manchester United uh, putting himself, putting Jadon Sancho in the shop window. Sancho himself, you know, putting himself in the shop window as well, alerting potential buyers to uh, to his, you know, what still remains of his ability this summer um, ahead of what is expected to be a permanent goodbye uh, in, in the next transfer window. I think there's any way with the changes that are happening at Manchester United right now, we know that Eric Ten Hag is under a serious amount of pressure and I'm not suggesting that he's going to get the sack, but I am suggesting that if Man United continue on this rocky sort of patch they've been on since the start of the season, do you think there's a way that the people who come in at Man United look at Sancho and say, well, if we do make a change in the head coach position, he is a player we could bring back in. I mean, this is a guy that spent seventeen three million pounds on or whatever it was, you know, just 18 months ago. He, he's a international player. We, we know how good he is. I think there maybe is a little bit of that, that Man United didn't want to let him go permanently in January in case there is a change come the end of the season. Potentially, but you'd like to think that the board wouldn't get involved in that respect and just say to the manager, do whatever you want. Um, and... It depends as well on how the wider team are to it. I mean, it's not just the manager that's you know that is the issue. Are there one or two noses out of joint with how he's behaved within that senior squad? Are there players that you know that don't want him there as well? It's not so much just the manager that you know you can change the manager and, and that's a quick and easy cut thing. It just involves one person being replaced by another. But if there's people, players within that squad that think he overstepped the mark and, and he, you know, kind of hold a little bit of resentment towards him, that are still there past the manager leaving. If Manchester United were to change the manager, well, that's still something that you'd have to contend with. It doesn't matter who's in charge. You still have to contend with that. The players reintegrating back into the squad with these players who maybe hold a bit of resentment towards the way that he behaved in the first place. Um, so, you know, it is horses for courses, different managers like different players. A new manager might come in. You know, you have to remember Sancho was signed on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, it, it wasn't an Eric Ten Hag signing. Um, and so, you know, he's, I'm not saying it was difficult from the start, but he doesn't have that affinity with him. He wasn't the one that signed him. He wasn't, he's not the one that he's, you know, I, I signed him, this is why I signed him, you know, go out there and prove it. He's, he doesn't have that affinity with him. Um, but of course, someone else could come in in the summer and think Jaden Sancho is exactly the player that I need and want. So yeah, it could be hedging their bets a little bit, but I, I still think the main reason is is that there wasn't a buyer willing to pay the price that they wanted for this month and they're hoping to get him back in the shop window to, uh, to bump up the price a little bit come the summer. Okay, sticking with Manchester United, Everton midfielder Amadou Onana. Um, it's been pretty impressive since he's moved to Everton last summer. Apparently, he's available for around fifty million pounds. Obviously, Everton have got all sorts of issues uh, off the field, which are, are well documented, and we could probably talk about them for hours if we were going to dedicate the time. But Arsenal and Man United both interested in him. It feels like a player that would probably fit into both sides. You know, an energetic central midfielder pretty combative has quality whenever I watch him forever and I always feel impressed and feel like he's quite composed um do you think there's any legs to this in January do you think that Everton would be so desperate to sell arguably their 
best or second best central midfielder when they are still in a relegation battle. For anyone listening along, I do want to point out we are in 2024. I know Connor said that Jaden Sancho moved to Man United 18 months ago. He meant 2021, not 2022. And when he said last summer for Amadou Anana, he meant summer of 2022, not the summer of 2023. Connor, we are in January 2024. I hope you've changed your calendar. You've got you're not looking at your 2023 one. Just making sure of that. For Anana, great player. Um, you know, as you said, they're done well. Um, for Everton since he joined them um, and, and the different managers that he's played under as well, bless him. Um, but he has shown himself to be a good Premier League player. Man United especially are in need of, a, of another uh, player in that position. I think we've seen Casemiro's legs go um, this season, especially he isn't the same player that he was when he first joined that club for sure. Um, and they need uh, someone else in that position. Sofian Amrabat came in on loan, you thought, oh, maybe he might be the eventual successor to him. Um, He's not really hit the heights. I mean, it hasn't helped me. He's also been played out of position at times. I think his debut came at left back, didn't he, in the end, which was a bit bizarre, but apparently he played uh, under Ten Hag at in that position previously. Um, but he's not performed well in that role either. Um, so he'll probably head back to Fiorentina uh, in the summer when his loan expires. So that does mean that Man United are still looking for that long-term successor to Casemiro. Uh, Amadou Anana, it could be, could be that man. Um, you know, again, it's it's all about stepping up and the pressures that come with playing for Man United and, and challenging for top honours and, and everything else that comes with it. But on the basis of what he's produced so far for Everton, you, you'd be quietly impressed by him. Um, and for the fact as well, age massively on his side, you know, Man United um, in this new era, I would suspect that they are going to try and, you know, kind of, you've seen how Arsenal have done it and built this young team and, and we're allowed to build this young team and they're growing and they're growing and they're growing season on season. Uh, Chelsea likewise trying to do similar at the minute um, to it's, it's not working as they would have wanted at the moment, but, you know, give it a couple of years and, and hopefully it should be where they want it to be. Uh, and so for Man United as well, project, we're at the start of a project with these new owners and I think Amadou Anana's age fits right into that that profile of player that they want to hopefully stay to the club, not just for the next two, three years, but for the next five, ten years. Yeah, I suppose that I am wrong when I say last summer, aren't I? I'm just, uh, yeah, maybe not just with the times. The <laughs> time goes so fast. Um, PSG linked with Bruno Gamares from Newcastle United. This is an interesting um, link. I think we've kind of, I think feel like since Bruno moved to Newcastle, he's kind of always been half linked away with moves. There's been talk of him. Um, I think potentially Liverpool as well were, were interested last summer. Last summer, yeah, summer just gone. Um, do you think that there's any danger that Newcastle could lose probably the star man? Or do you think the project there would be so enticing and what they're doing at the minute that Bruno would stick it out? I mean, he's he's getting paid handsomely at Newcastle, so I doubt wages are, are going to be an issue for him. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And he goes to PSG and and on the basis of what we see so far, and again, these, these, this next sentence could come back to haunt me uh, come the end of the season. But the only thing he's going to win with PSG is domestic honours in France. He's not going to, to challenge the Champions League. And, um, you know, it, it's been a struggle for PSG in Europe. They'll probably go on and win it now. And this will get played back to me in a few months' time. But, you know, that's all he'll pack the trophy cabinet out with, I think. So in terms of the trophies as well, he might be better suited staying at Newcastle for the long term because I think they will end up getting there. Uh, and as you say, there's no... Uh, yeah, he's, he's being paid handsomely. Newcastle don't have to sell uh, at this moment in time. 
Um, and if they did need to sell, I'm, I'm sure there's probably a few other players in that squad that they'd be more willing to sell um, and, and sacrifice and perhaps maybe sacrifice several players just to keep Bruno, if, you know, if it ever gets to that point of, of FFP and everything else that comes with it. Um, but for the here and now, no, they don't need to. You know, you talk about other clubs. Um, you know, I remember a, a, a comment um, said to me a few, you know, almost 10 years back now by uh, the Dagenham and Redbridge manager at the time, a guy called Wayne Burnett. And we were talking about one of their players uh, being subject to transfer interest. And Wayne was saying that, you know, of all the clubs in the world, there's probably only, you know, four or five. And I think that list may have grown now a little bit, but there's only four or five that don't ever have to sell their players. You're talking to Barcelona, your Man City, your United, your Real Madrid because of, you know, the, the finances that they've got. And Newcastle are now part of that group, that cluster, because widely reported that they are the richest football club in the world. So you can chuck as much money as you want at it. We don't have to sell. We don't need to sell. And that makes it a hell of a lot harder to get that player then. Um, and yeah, so I don't think trophies are going to be an issue. Uh, as you said there, I think he paid nicely at Newcastle. And uh, I mean, any offer. I don't think there's any offer in the world you could submit to Newcastle that would make them think about selling Bruno Gimarish unless, of course, it was money plus Killian Mbappe and then they might want to get around the table, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the only reason why Bruno Gimarish could want to leave Newcastle is if they don't get in. I mean, they're not going to get the Champions League this season. So if that's a big aspiration for him and he wants to play Champions League football and he thinks that Newcastle are maybe a couple of years away, you look at the top end of the Premier League now and it feels like Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City are all clearly stronger than Newcastle and probably will be for the next couple of years at least. Tottenham at the minute, with everything that's happening there, you feel like they're strong. Chelsea obviously invest a lot of money at the minute. Aston Villa, of course, you know, they're similar to Newcastle. There's a lot of teams fighting for four stroke five places, depending on what happens with that coefficient place. Is it possible that Bruno Gamares, if Newcastle missed Champions League this season and he isn't impressed with what they're doing in terms of transfer business, is it possible that he goes, No, I, I want to I'm too good to be playing Europa Conference League football? <laughs> No, I suspect that the transfer business that they will do this summer will be heavy and hefty. Um, and I think we'll see a change in tact uh, from Newcastle. Um, you know, that that window last summer just gone in 2023, I was a little bit surprised by who they did sign. Um, you know, to great respect to Harvey Barnes. And yes, he's been injured quite a bit, so it hasn't helped. Um, and yeah, the fee was, was you know, I mean, fair play, you know, for, for the current market, it was a bit of a snip, I think, in the end for, for Harvey Barnes. But he's not, you don't look at him and go title winning player there. Um, you know, you kind of, he's, he's not the difference maker in a, in a squad as well. And they lack those difference makers. You know, Bruno Gamarish is probably in that squad yeah, I'd stick my neck out. Bruno Gavarish is, is the only player in that squad that could be a difference maker, I think, for that Newcastle team. They lack those players. So you're right in that respect. They need a big summer window. Um, and I think we will see a busy summer at Newcastle, um, you know, regardless of what European competition or even if they don't end up in any European competition um, that they are in next season. Um, I think we will be seeing a busy, busy summer at St. James's Park. Um and that might be enough, you know, we get to that point and you're right there, you know, the best players want to play in the best competitions. Will Bruno be upset to be out of Europe for sure? Um, but Newcastle needs to try to, 
you know, maybe convincing with these signings that look, stick around, the good times are just around the corner. Um, you know, you look at Liverpool in the summer, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Mo Salah maybe would have wanted out at Liverpool, you know, dropping into the Europa League and then goes to seize the players that they're going to sign. And that's the kind of window I think Newcastle need to, to convince the likes of Bruno Gimaraes to stick around. But here and now for January, no, I don't think it's going anywhere, but come the summer it could be different. Uh, as you say, they're with, with, depending on what Europe, European competition, if any, they end up in. Yeah, we've got two final bits of transfer talk to talk about. Philip Coutinho, um, this is the one that you sent over this one, Inter Miami. Um, Inter Miami seems to be a, a breeding ground for these sort of players, isn't it? The former Barcelona stars. What do you make of this link? Do you think it's um, likely to happen? And do you think the MLS is you know, going to be happy bringing in a player of his reputation? <laughs> Well, it looks like Barcelona are trying to, uh, not Barcelona, sorry, Inter Miami are trying to bring back the Barcelona team from 2018. Dennis Suarez and others might soon be uh, getting their agents on the phone to see if they can get a move out there, get the band back together. Because what's in there? Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets, Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez, and and now Luis Coutinho. Um, I mean, I'm trying to work out, kind of, I'm trying to remember the rules as well. It's been so long that we've forgotten, um, you know, it's been a while that, the MNS hasn't attracted the biggest names probably since, uh, you know, probably for about 10 years, really. I think Kakar maybe would have been the last, like, huge, huge, well, global name to have, to have gone to the MLS. But for about 10 years, you kind of forget about the old designated player rule, the Beckham rule, and how many players you're allowed, what the cap means, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you look at that, Luis Suarez, Lionel Messi, I'm sure, I'm sure his exceptions made for Lionel Messi because of what he brings into the MLS as well. And the collective bargaining agreement that all the clubs have is a little bit different. It's a little bit more like the, uh, uh, the NFL than it is the Premier League. All the clubs kind of have one big pot and it's all a bit, yeah. Um, but, you know, the money that Messi brings in, I'm sure exceptions can be made and, and like the like the Beckham rule in the first place was. But yeah, Suarez, Messi, Alba, Busquets, Coutinho, they're all going to be on pretty big wage packages. All going to probably fall under the designated player rule. It's about how many you can fit in and get in in that time. Uh, it, it, you know, it, I mean, I'm sure they'll love it. I'm sure, you know, the MLS would, would love, you know, Katina still got, I think, in, the, in that competition especially, I think he's still got a bit to offer. Um, I think his days in Europe are gone. Um, you know, he never really set the world on fire at, at Aston Villa. Um so, you know, his days in Europe are, are done and dusted. Um, for him, he'll get a nice opportunity with, with I presume, friends, guys that he still loves in Suarez and Messi in particular. And Busquets probably did a lot of the dirty work as well that he enjoyed. And, and I think he played on the safe flank as well, the way that he's cut in uh, as Jordi Alba. So, you know, it'll be kind of nice. And that'll be some five-a-side team as well when they're knocking about in, in Miami as well, downtown Miami on the five-side pitches. That'll be something to turn up. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but clearly um, the, the owners uh, into Miami Miami have a thing for that 2018 Barcelona team um, and, and just retro Barcelona in, in general, really, because obviously the manager is the one who was in charge 13 14, wasn't it? Gerardo Martino, Tata Martino was in charge of Barcelona. Um, so clearly, despite his links to Real Madrid, Dave Beckham loves a, an old Barcelona player. Yeah, it's weird they're called in Miami. They should have found like a, a way of getting Barcelona in the name, Barcelona, Miami or something. Um, also, the, the last big player I remember going before Messi, possibly Steven Gerrard, which I think was maybe 2016-ish. Um, so yeah, last one uh, to mention here though, and it's a one that's dear to my heart, so this is why we're including it. Jack Clark linked to West Ham United. Um, I found this interesting because Jack Clark had such a stinker on national television on Saturday afternoon at the Tangier Derby. I don't think anybody watching that game would have thought that's a 20, 25 million 
helmed player. Do you think this is an area though that West Ham need to improve on? A, a winger who, uh, uh, even though I like Jack Clark, a one-dimensional winger is probably a fair way of putting it because he only has one foot and he's only got one move. Um, do you think that's likely to happen? It depends what they want to do with Jared Bowen, I think is the answer here. We've seen him play recently a little bit more through the middle uh, rather than out wide, which then means that they've got a gap to fill in that wide position. Um, so if they see Jared Bowen as being the next Mikel Antonio or winger being converted into a striker, it'll be you know, very different things because obviously uh, Antonio is a little bit better in the air than Bowen is. Still a good player in the air. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that at all, but um, diff- different players at least. But if West Ham see Jared Bowen's future as being that striker for them, um, then they have something to fill. And they're, and they're looking to, you know, other rumours as well, this month, suggesting that Saeed Barama's on his way out of West Ham. So they'll be looking to, to add depth, if nothing else, as well to that position. Again, especially if Jared Bowen's going to be playing more centrally, more going forward. Um, Jack Clark, you know, you are you speak to you, you're the Sunderland fan, you're, you see him week in, week out. You kind of know more than perhaps casual championship fans exactly what he's about. But you listen to some championship pundits and they'll tell you that he's the best player in the league and and probably is able to step up and can provide West Ham with that impetus that they need on the flanks. Um, I'm not sure if you're, you know, downplaying his attributes just to try and keep him to age your promotion push. Yeah, you know, he's not that good. He's not that good. You don't want to spend that money for him and then hopefully he gets you up into the Premier League next year and you can sell him in the summer for an even bigger price. Um, but for West Ham, yeah, is it worth the punt? You know, they've done this before in January, haven't they? Where they've, they've signed a, a, a goal scorer from the championship. Did it with Jared Bowen, worked out well. Did it with Jordan Hugo, didn't work out just as well. Um, and, and yeah, Jordan Hugo had to cut their losses on him a couple of years later. Didn't really do it for West Ham in the end. So they have history of moving for a goal scoring Englishman in the championship in January. But again, it kind of seems to have gone one or two ways. We've got the Bowen, who's a success in an England international and Jordan Hugo, who's back in the championship now and, and never really made the grade at West Ham. So it comes with that risk as well. They know they've been here before and it could go one way or the other. Yeah, I think as well, Sunderland obviously sold Ross Stewart in the summer. So I don't think they need cash He's also got, I think, two and a half years left in his contract. So I suspect that Jack Clark will leave Sunderland in the summer. Um, I also think Sunderland would gamble that he would end up towards 20 goals, especially since he takes penalties. I mean, this is the other thing. He gets branded out as a, a goal scorer. I think he scored five or six penalties this season. So, you know, you'll not be on penalty duty at West Ham. So, yeah, I don't see that move happening in January. I think it happens at the end of the season. But we're out of time, Ned. Um, thanks for joining me this morning for talking transfers. It's always fun to talk transfers. There was so much gossip. It's nice to look back and think, you know, whether or not these deals did or, or didn't happen. So I'm glad we've had a, at least one big move so far in the window with Timo Werner. And hopefully, um, when we talk probably this time next week, we'll have a few more deals done. So thanks for joining. Thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you next time. <laughs>